0: Welcome to this special edition of the FinSight podcast. Today we have the introductory episode of Finding Balance, a special FinSight edition of Baker McKenzie's Global Financial Institutions Industry podcast. My name is Ying Yi Liu, and I'm a principal in the Financial Services Group at Baker McKenzie based in Singapore. My practice focuses on regulatory and compliance issues with a special interest in fintech. This is the first of 10 special briefings where we discuss how COVID-19 will affect financial institutions and its impact on current industry trends. Over the first few months, we'll be covering the impact of COVID-19 on sectors and key trends around financial institutions. Please bear in mind that these represent our current views based on hypotheses that may change in rapidly developing situations. No doubt there are and will be other perspectives. In this special edition, we've asked ourselves how the future really looks for financial institutions and what the medium and longer term impact of COVID-19 will be for our sector. In recent months, a lot of lawyers, consultants, academics and commentators have spoken and advised on the immediate impact of lockdown and business interruption on businesses in general. And a great deal of time has been spent by a lot of organisations telling businesses what they already know about the current circumstances because it's unfolding right in front of them. Not enough time or thought has been committed to some slightly tougher questions. I'm going to put some of these questions to my colleague, Jonathan Petty. Jonathan is the Chair of Baker McKenzie's Financial Institutions Industry Group, and so is in a good position to attempt some answers. But before doing so, Jonathan, I'd be interested in your reflections on the impact of COVID-19's crisis on businesses more generally. Jonathan, over to you.
1: First, proper reflection on the fact that there isn't one COVID crisis that's impacting business uniformly different industry sectors are experiencing profoundly distinct impacts on their balance sheets and markets, with a very different set of timescales and pinch points. Take, for example, healthcare and IT, which have seen immediate demand spikes and supply chain pressures. Compare and contrast that experience with the consumer goods, retail and hospitality sectors, where the immediate concerns are more acute questions of solvency, resilience and economic support in the face of closures and lockdowns. Aviation and aerospace engineering have been profoundly impacted, in some cases beyond recovery. The energy sector has seen demand slump and wholesale energy prices drop and an acceleration of sustainable resource strategies. The financial sector, however, has spent over a decade restructuring and being subject to stress testing to ensure resilience to economic volatility. So while there will, of course, be some short term casualties, The immediate concerns for most FIs are not existential ones. Of the three Rs, resilience may be the less of an issue for banking and finance, insurance, asset management, and funds, but recovery and renewal are hot issues. These are businesses which have changed enormously in the last 15 years. For many in the banking sector, the digitalization of business presents challenges similar to IT and telecoms. For other FIs, businesses continue But the real question is how will the balance sheet change in the year to 18 months ahead as bad debts increase and the investment and consumer landscape is transformed second how will the global economy be impacted directly and indirectly in the years ahead how deep and long is this event and its aftershocks and how is it reshaping national economies consumer behaviors the relationship between businesses and states And what will the consequences be for international trade and geopolitical pressures that drive our markets? Put simply, where are the opportunities and which markets have already evaporated or look likely to do so? What is the true nature of the reordering of priorities and timings for financial institutions? Answering these questions may not be an exercise in legal advice but it is essential that lawyers for businesses turn their mind to them help navigate a map that has changed significantly over the last eight months and will continue to do so rapidly quarter by quarter. In this series we unpack the issues by asking some key questions, drawing on analysis and resources from beyond the legal sector, media commentary, economic analysis, consultancy, political insight and reflecting our clients own views on what's happening to their businesses in various jurisdictions and areas of business. It's hard to objectivise the current situation as businesses battle with the subjective pressures of their own balance sheet and business plans. By drawing together this range of perspectives, we're looking to deliver an insight and commentary that may be hard to achieve from within the walls of a single business. It's important to bear in mind that we aren't talking about one market. Financial institutions are a diverse constituency ranging from banking, insurance, intermediaries, asset managers, funds and other financial sponsors and financial market infrastructure providers, including payment schemes, each with very different business models. Different subsectors are facing similar issues, but in different sequences and with different time pressures. But the context in which they all operate bears visible scar tissue. It seems very clear that the prospects of a V-shaped, swift recovery are slim. Even if some markets rebound, others are fundamentally impacted or even damaged beyond repair. As well as the pure economic impact of lockdown, with some economic activity shut down entirely, there has been an apparent adjustment in social behaviours which may not simply bounce back as a matter of both choice and necessity. And this has big consequences. In London, for example, public transport during peak periods remains only 16% of its pre-crisis levels and office occupancy is lower still. Most commentators accept that there will be a gradual return to office life, and for a significant period, that will be managed safely to maintain sustainability through a blend of A-B teaming and continued remote working practices for a large proportion of the working population. That means it will be a long time before there is a fully present workforce in financial centres such as London. That has significant knock-on economic effects. We'll see the business infrastructure of London impacted as demand for services reduces. And that impacts the lenders. Most clients accept that we are in the unavoidable slide into deep recession but some don't think that the hangover will last long. That speaks more of hope than reality. Most expect a gradual improvement to levels that don't reach previous peaks and display some notable absences, a fundamental correction. Some are more pessimistic still predicting an l shaped economic cycle where GDP doesn't recover to pre-crisis levels for many years where, for example, containment policies are partially effective, lockdowns need to be reimposed, and the world operates through a series of detuned economies. That seems increasingly likely. Few would disagree with two emerging principles. First, digital platform service provision was already in growth mode, and now it's business critical for serving a remote working economy but with that comes significant risk in terms of cybersecurity and partner reliance. Solvency of technology service providers is a real issue for the sector. Second, there is money, but it's not yet being spent. Private equity and sovereign wealth funds are watching prices, but what lessons learned from 10 years ago will be applied by governments and regulators? Will private or sovereign ownership be welcomed in the same way?
0: Jonathan, thank you very much. Now, as promised, I'm going to pose some of those tough questions which our clients are thinking about. How would you describe or prioritise the challenges faced by financial institutions arising from the current crisis and the respective time horizons? And how do these differ as between different markets and industry subsectors?
1: As a starting point, it's worth highlighting how different these current circumstances are to the global financial crisis, which centred around banks' inability to lend through, initially, overexposure to declining markets. A problem caused by banking practice suffered first by banks, then their customers and counterparties, then economies and societies at large. The pandemic comes from society and impacts economics and industries, not limited to banks. A crisis, but not just a financial crisis. In many ways, this shock event carries more of the hallmarks of 9-11 than it does of the financial crisis. And Treasury departments are looking to the financial sector to support resolution rather than blaming it for causing the problem. But all organisations, including financial institutions, must now navigate not only the economy in recession, but one where COVID-19 is disrupting business models and accelerating and stretching existing priorities and social movements such as digitalisation, sustainability, social responsibility and governance. Financial institutions are battling to deliver as problem solvers for governments, but they're dealing with their own interrupted business lines, severely impacted revenue streams and heightened demand for certain services. Maintaining margins, competitive service offerings and return on equity for shareholders means their primary urgent objective is to reset costs once more. Yet this is an industry that was already heavily committed to that activity before COVID started. A number of large global institutions were engaged in large-scale headcount reviews before the pandemic hit. Ironically, with government and social pressures to maintain jobs in a downturn, reputational risk and social responsibility considerations have caused some to pause redundancy programs just as cost pressures increased exponentially. This in turn has shone a light on other areas of the business where cost heads can be tackled through other means. Optimizing service provider relationships and sourcing practices, further reliance on efficient, safe technology, the financial value of data, tighter credit risk and debt recovery strategies. Osmotic change has become step change.
0: How do you think financial institutions have weathered the storm so far? What has worked in terms of existing resilience strategies and where has the pain been most severe?
1: In the February to May period, financial institutions faced two main challenges. First, Credential a sudden drop in the value of financial assets or loss of liquidity. Because of central bank and government intervention and reforms such as Basel III, a large proportion of the initial falls on financial markets have been reversed, although asset valuations in the worst affected parts of the economy are significantly down. The second is an operational challenge, the resilience of systems and controls underpinning the financial system in the face of operational risk. By and large, with the reforms put in place since 2008, most organisations have performed well against this mark. In fact, in certain respects, surpassing regulators' expectations. Failure of financial institutions on this score is not, or not yet, a story.
0: What do you think is the prognosis for the banking sector and how will it change?
1: Higher prudential standards put in place by Basel III and state-backed loans and grants for corporates have mitigated the impact that significant corporate failure could have on balance sheets. But the level of provisioning for bad debt is climbing rapidly and half-year earnings are dramatically reducing. Systemically important banks may not need to raise more capital in the short term, but weaker, smaller banks, those feeling the effects of 2008 or currently emerging as new challenger entities are likely to need to do so, may alternatively present as significant targets for aggressive M&A, but prudential regulators will be very vigilant in their scrutiny of the suitability of new ownership. Many banks are of course seeing a fall in income caused by reduced consumer spending. Though online spending is up, high street spending is obviously impacted by lockdown and corporate banking activity is down. There are fewer assets under management and a reduction in investment banking activity. Enforcement and compliance activity increases in a post-crisis period. We know that from 2008 but we aren't yet post-crisis. Regulators, like businesses, are also struggling to manage the day job. We're seeing an emergent level of activity here, but there is still a backlog of work to deal with. But crises are also times where conduct risk spikes and compliance oversight can weaken. So we can also anticipate a material uplift in enforcement investigations relating to misconduct specifically taking place during the crisis. Precedent businesses are looking to the health and effectiveness of their three lines of defence. Businesses that are reducing in headcount will also see an increase in defensive whistleblows.
0: Which subsectors are likely to be able to take advantage of the most opportunities because of COVID nineteen and the economic downturn?
1: Asset managers, pension funds, private equity and sovereign wealth funds have significant dry powder wealth, cash or its equivalent, that is available for investment but will it be used? The Bank of England estimates that private equity alone has $1.5 trillion worth of unused committed capital to invest in companies that require finance. There will be opportunities to add value to portfolios by identifying viable businesses with temporary liquidity and funding issues, but that spring remains coiled for now as prices are not yet visibly settled. Related to this is shadow banking. As COVID-19 prompts corporates to seek funding for recovery and renewal, The speed and flexibility enjoyed by shadow banks over traditional lenders is likely to boost their market share further. With technology transforming banking and financial services, given added impetus from the crisis, small, virtual-only banks will benefit from cost efficiencies, providing significantly higher rates of return than traditional banks. We can expect further consolidation of European banks given the weaknesses of their balance sheets and renewed political will. Chinese banks will look to increase their footprint in major money centres, bringing into sharp focus the growing political tensions and trade frictions between China and the US and Europe. Chinese banks are already significant in size. If China benefits from the COVID-19 relative to other countries, its banks will be growing a growing force internationally, especially in emerging markets, redoubling the impact of the Belt and Road Initiative.
0: What pre-existing industry trends do you think will be impacted or positively or negatively by the pandemic?
1: The European Central Bank reports what we can all see. COVID-19 is accelerating digital transformation in banking. The City UK report that the way people think about and use technology is undergoing a radical transformation. So we're going to see more AI, ML, blockchain, robo-advice, regtech, insurtech, And the continued increase in the marketable value of commercial data. It's not the account services that make the money but the intelligence that can be derived from and sold in relation to account activity and buyer habits. All of this demands increased investment but this is a cost to achieve significant savings to improve competitiveness and challenge existing markets. It's where we may see those funds deployed If the cash in the business is hard to find and private equity comes into play. Sustainability, not cash, is king. All aspects of environmental, social and governance, ESG, have become mission critical for FIs as the crisis has brought home the importance of ESG concerns, not only environmental but social and governance principles. The public agenda is resetting the corporate agenda the most successful financial institutions will have embedded sustainability within their prudential frameworks and will be well placed to take advantage of their favourable regulatory treatment to improve their competitiveness. The trend towards increasing regulatory scrutiny is gaining added impetus. This time, there is an absolute drive to avoid the criticism leveled at regulators during the banking crisis that they were slow to act or toothless. We're seeing a trend towards regulators requiring organizations to act in their clients' best interests over and above strict contractual obligations and need to pay close attention to regulators' expectations rather than just strict rules. For example, in the light of the flexibility and forbearance towards customers required for the sector, of the sector in these opening stages of the lockdown, there will also be pressure on debt recovery methodology.
0: Low interest rates and increasing bet debt are tearing holes in bank balance sheets. Where does it go from here?
1: The IMF has previously issued warnings over high levels of corporate debt and that emerging economies such as China are at risk of default in the event of a global recession. It appears for the moment that interest rates will remain low, but of course debt which was serviceable prior to COVID-19 may no longer be. Suspension of insolvency legislation, such as in the UK wrongful trading rules, only serves to delay rather than to extinguish the demise of the company unless other meaningful support is provided. We can expect a significant volume of restructuring and ultimately insolvency activity across corporate sectors and thus a gradual rationalisation of the market with follow-on distressed M&A. But with the cushioning effect of temporary suspension of insolvency legislation, this picture will be slow to emerge. Meanwhile, banks will continue to write down the value of the loan book in anticipation of increasing impairment. We can anticipate increasing investor activity especially by the more agile shadow banks through credit funds in relation to businesses that are identified as real survivor bets
0: so to put you on the spot what are your predictions for the future
1: if there is a winner at this stage it's looking like the global system of financial regulation closer scrutiny of the financial sector is here to stay regulators will say all those stress tests and capital adequacy expectations have proven worthwhile but this is an interim assessment and you have to factor time into the equation to measure the true efficacy of regulation over a sustained downturn and it is likely to be sustained an alternative which may turn out to be the true victor is the technology infrastructure business underpinning the digital transformation so we will be seeing more digital and greener financial institutions ahead the most successful organizations will have already embraced and invested in new technologies They will be digitally nimbler, not only in terms of their architecture and physical footprint, but in the way they deliver services and products to their customers, including mining the indirect value of a service, such as data harvest, not just the traditional measures of business success, banking and money transfer services. ESG concerns, not only environmental concerns, but also social and governance issues have risen up the public agenda and are also here to stay. Reputational risk is ever more material and immediate, and successful financial institutions will have embedded sustainability and reputational risk management within their prudential frameworks and recognise the direct link to competitiveness and success. The so-called challenger banks are growing up. Some will fade, but others, adopting the new normal before it was normal, will be strongly placed to build significant market share, but not without investment, and so the funds may become involved at that point. Shadow banking will continue to grow in importance. Traditional banks may be stronger than in 2008, but they will adopt more conservative lending practices to safeguard balance sheets during the recession, and they won't be able to match the speed and flexibility of an alternative lender or credit fund.
0: And thanks to everyone for joining this first edition of the Finsight Finding Balance series. We hope that you have found this introduction helpful. Please do take a look at the accompanying briefing, which is available on BakerMcKenzie.com. Do watch out for the next edition in the series on COVID-19 and the banking sector. If you found this podcast helpful, you may also be interested to know that Baker McKenzie has produced a series of podcasts in relation to the theme of resilience, recovery and renewal in the light of the COVID-19 crisis. My name is Yingyi Liu and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us for the next edition of Finsight.